Hey everybody, you're listening to episode 77 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, coming to you from a losing playoff team, Kansas City. We are a spoiler-filled podcast by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And have you fully recovered from uh, the Chiefs' playoff loss? No, I'm still thawing out not only my body, but my emotions. Yeah, I was. Uh, I-, I looked at my steps and my heart rate on my Apple Watch because I didn't sit down the whole game. Uh, it was something like I, I got like 2,000 steps, and my max heart rate for the day was during the Chiefs game. So that was that was not good. No, it was uh, it was a struggle indeed. But uh, we got the moral victory, if that counts. <laughs> did we? Did did we get a moral victory? I, I'm not sure that that really counts. We got there, you know, first time mm-hmm. in what 25 years. Oh yeah, I'll I take mean, it. sure. I'll get take into it. the and we yeah. went to overtime, so we didn't get blown out. And there, there's that too, I guess. If there's anything to take silver lining yeah you know i i think the hardest thing for me was after like i mean as soon as rex burkhead crossed the line uh, the goal line i just hit power off on the tv i didn't want to hear any talk about it afterwards nothing but later on like maybe around 11 o'clock or midnight i decided it'd be a good idea to check social media and i think the thing that hurt the most was looking at twitter and seeing how like everybody was rooting for the chiefs like all the national people, everybody else, like nobody wanted to see the Patriots win besides like direct Patriots fans. It was like core Patriots fans, and then everybody was a Chiefs fan. So everybody was just like, oh no. Well, try being 35 rows into the upper deck and then have to meander all the way down and then out of the stadium and then all the way out to your car in just silence. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons I don't go to the Chiefs game anymore because I, I assume that that walk would be brutal and. You know, knowing Arrowhead, there's there's bound to be a few fights around, and not between not between Chiefs fans and Pats fans, but just Chiefs fans will start fighting each other because they're all just so angry about what happened. Well, there's a lot of mouthiness during the game, but then it was, you know, some people like right at the end were mad and throwing anything they could at the wall, hoping it would stick, and then, you know, that that walk is just everyone just was out of energy. They were done, spent, like yeah, seasons over. Yep, disappointed and depressed. Agreed. Hey, perfect segue into glass. <laughs> Disappointing yeah. and depressing. Uh-huh. So I actually don't know too much about where you stand on this, but I mean, I, I just laid my cards out on the table, uh, Maverick style, but we can, we can roll right into it. We are, we are talking glass today, the M. Night Shyamalan follow-up to Split, which was a follow-up secretly to Unbreakable, the third part of his, I guess we call it Unbreakable Trilogy. The trilogy that nobody asked for, didn't know we were going to get, but here we are, right? Well, I think people asked for it. They wanted a follow-up, but they just didn't know they were getting it with Split. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. I think post-Split, everybody wanted it. I was, I guess, saying kind of, there's so much time between Unbreakable and Split that kind of everybody had stopped asking for a follow-up to Unbreakable. Yeah, because I remember there being a lot of talk about a sequel to Unbreakable that just never happened. Yeah, because Unbreakable was sort of... um, I don't know, like moderately successful. I, I think it was coming off the heels of Sixth Sense, and I, I guess the world wasn't ready for comic book subversion just quite yet, even though I think that's actually what made it pretty cool and good was the fact that, you know, we weren't in the comic book era, so that kind of breakdown of a comic book movie, that's sort of what makes Unbreakable great in my mind. Yeah, it's definitely a different kind of comic book movie. I mean, it's it's aware that it is one because Samuel Jackson won't stop quoting it you know and telling them what, what, what yeah. part of the movie that the comic book is um yeah but it's if you go into it expecting you know aquaman then you're just gonna be very disappointed agreed so let, let's back up uh we'll get to our letterboxed blurb as always following the conclusion of split glass finds david dunn pursuing kevin wendell crumb's superhuman figure of the beast in a series of escalating encounters while the shadowy presence of Elijah Price emerges as an orchestrator who holds secrets critical to both men. 
Glass, directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who also wrote it. And as far as the cast goes, you got James McAvoy playing the Horde, Bruce Willis playing David Dunn, Samuel L. Jackson as Elijah Glass. Then you have Anya Taylor-Joy, who's coming back as, I think it's Casey Clark from Split. Sarah Paulson is playing Dr. Ellie Staple. And then Spencer Treat Clark is uh, Bruce Willis's son in the movie. And for the life of me, I can't remember his name. I want to say it's maybe Jonah, I think. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, but that's, that's the cast. That's the nutshell. So let's let's go, I guess. Um, where to start with this one? Um, tons of hype. Trailer looked good. You know, I, I mentioned this in my review that I wrote for our site. But I to me... I had such high hopes for this. One, because I like Unbreakable. I wasn't the biggest fan of Split. I think I gave it like a three and a half. Um, but I wanted this to be good because I like Unbreakable. And I honestly, I wanted it to be good because I wanted M. Night Shyamalan to be good again. Like When Sixth Sense came out, we were in high school still. So I think we were pretty impressionable from a filmmaking standpoint, right? And that was a truly a phenomenon of a movie oh right yeah and you saw that you had no idea what you were watching and you thought you're and not that you didn't have any idea what you're watching that, that, that's that's wrong it's you had no idea where where it ended up going yeah like one of the one of the true twists of movies i mean it's right up there with usual suspects it's like you just got that twist and you weren't really expecting that at all yeah and honestly it's hard to say if anything since then has even come close to it, right? I mean, there's twists, and then there's, like, the mother of all twists, and Sixth Sense is in that range or category. I don't know. I'd have to think about it off the top of my head, but it might arguably be the biggest twist of all time in any movie. Well, that's another podcast we can discuss. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like that jaded us as movie viewers, right? Because then we start, like, trying to look for the twists and everything. but. My point in all this was that M. Night Shyamalan used to be really great, like one of the best directors of his generation, because while Unbreakable did okay, I mean, he came right back with Signs and The Village, and those were both, you know, pretty big, intense, twisty, he's still got it stuff. Um, so I, I feel like I wanted Glass to be great from a story standpoint, but I wanted to be great because I wanted to finally be like, oh man, M. Night Shyamalan's back. You know, we can we can look forward to another one of his movies and he's he's nailed the twist and he's got all of his intensity back. And that's why I had so much excitement going into this movie. No, I, I don't know about you. No, I agree. Because I haven't watched Split since I knew that it was a sequel. And so I wonder how that would affect my viewing the second time. It uh and so I, I'm, I was excited about Glass, excited about where they were going. I thought it was going to feature Samuel Jackson and and just develop him into a different level. And I I didn't get that at all. He was he was definitely not the focal point of this movie. And that you could say, yeah, he was pulling the strings, I guess, but he wasn't he wasn't the feature. You know, you got. Uh, McAvoy and Split, and you got Bruce Willis and and Unbreakable, and I thought this was going to be, you know, Samuel Jackson's movie, but he was just again a side character. Yeah, I agree with you. It actually felt like it was more of Split Two, um, with the acknowledgement that this is in the Unbreakable universe. Because you know, to your point about rewatching Split, I don't think there's anything about Split that will change how you view Unbreakable at all, because it wasn't an unbreakable sequel until the last 10 seconds. Right. I mean, just to know that, that it's in that world, maybe. Again, I don't know how I would view it. Again, I don't, I don't know if he's dropped any other things in that movie that might tip you off or if it's just the end scene there. Yeah. I mean, I would be interested to see it. I just, yeah, th that's where I feel like, I think you can almost say the same thing about Glass where it's just, I don't know, it, it doesn't, all the pieces are there. It's clearly a part of the Unbreakable universe, but it's just, there's something about it. it. It definitely is more heavily focused on James McAvoy, which is one of my complaints from from the whole movie standpoint, because, yeah, you kind of want to see where Bruce Willis has been. You know, it's been 19 years or whatever. I think even film-wise, they said it had been 19 years or so, and he's been out fighting crime as a superhero human. 
And I, I don't really know how long Elijah Glass has been put away, but I expected this to not be so focused on any one character. I mean, if like to your point, I guess if it was going to be focused on any one character, I figured it would be Elijah and then the other two would kind of round it up, but it was really still almost all McAvoy and then just a little bit of Bruce Willis and, and glass. So it, it doesn't, I don't know. There was something about just how the movie was even approached from that standpoint that I was kind of, yeah, I don't know. No, I, I agree. I agree on that completely. And the, the thing that I liked the the most, and I think you just mentioned, was him and his son fighting crime together. And one, I liked that they have the same, they brought the same actor back for his son because what's he been doing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he was turning down a lot of contracts. No, but but I like that they just stuck with it. They didn't try to find somebody with more acting chops as an adult or, or whatever, but I, I appreciate that. So I'm glad they did that. I think they did that with everybody. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. And, and I, I like how they made him the sidekick. Kind yeah, of. he's the man in the van, you know, giving him the yeah. he's whistler. Yeah, I always think of Micro from Punisher. Yes, yes. I don't know why. Because you are fascinated with Punisher. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that you went to Whistler is hilarious. <laughs> now I want to watch Blade. Uh, yeah, so I, I did like that uh, that dynamic, and so we got to see him still being a superhero. And I just love how they were talking about, um, you know, the Tiptoe Man. They were calling me the Tiptoe <laughs> yeah. Man again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people were trying to find out what they were going to call him, and you know, he'd been doing it for a while. But I thought, I thought that whole intro to Bruce Willis again was was pretty good. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I like the beginning of the movie in, in the way that Bruce Willis was introduced. And I like how they kind of immediately jumped into he's trying to track down uh, the beast uh, because there's another kidnapping that's gone on. So they kind of get us right into it, which is one of those action movie staples anymore that you got to kind of get the action going in the beginning. And the other piece of that I liked was the trailer was really heavy on that cheerleader scene. And Honestly, in the trailer, I thought that the scene of Bruce Willis and um, James McAvoy jumping out the window into the dust like always looked laughably bad as they kind of transitioned into the dust. But basically, we all knew that fight was coming, and I'm glad that they led with that because I, I actually thought to myself in the theater, like, oh, yes, they're leading with this, so now I don't have to sit here the whole movie and be like, okay, I know they're going to fight about some cheerleaders later on. Like, Let's just get this over with. Right. I'm glad that they definitely front-loaded a lot of the trailer scenes. Um at least the first trailer. The second trailer, they, they kind of gave the rest of it away. Well, and I, I guess after I saw the cheerleader fight, you know, I knew from the trailer that they were going to have the, the fight where James McAvoy starts running on all four like, like legs, you know, because they showed that nonsense. Yeah. So then, but I, I was like, okay, well, that's clearly not going to be the last fight either. You know, spoiler, I was completely wrong. But... Um, at the time, I was thinking, okay, cool. There's at least going to be it's like one unknown fight that I don't know about. Um, you know, as I'm dissecting the movie in, in my head as it's playing. And there wasn't. Nope, there wasn't. <laughs> so I did like how they introduced McAvoy too. You know, uh, so he's still out there and he's still, you know, murdering people. And they didn't. They introduced the two, or I guess the three main personalities. You know, um, the the lady, and then the kid, and then the beast. You know, so they didn't dive too much into all of his personalities. And then he's kidnapped these cheerleaders and he's going to kill them and eat them. You know, so it pretty much sets the stage of if you don't know anything about this movie up to date, you know that he's a psychopath and you know he's going to, you know, eat these people. Yeah. And, and, you know, while we're on that, you know, McAvoy's fantastic. I mean, you can tell he is having a blast with everything he's doing. And I can't even imagine how hard it is to transition from one character to another in the same scene seamlessly right i mean he does a great job i mean hats off to him um on that i I will say i kind of got annoyed with him by the end of the movie because i felt like because there was so little of bruce willis and so little of samuel L. jackson and and then you know by equation like you know so much of mcavoy that i got tired of the personality switches in in every scene i'm like yeah okay 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 you just gave me five more personalities in this, you know, two minutes that you're on the screen. Like it, it kind of wore thin with me after a while. Like I get the concept. You, you are a split personality. We've established that in the first movie and the bulk of this movie, 
but you know, you can, you, we can keep it locked down for a little bit. Yeah. And I think it, especially if you're watching them all back to back, you just see an entire movie of him doing that. Right. And so con- continually doing that, I get that that's the character, uh, but there needed, like you said, there needed to be more substance there for us to not care about him just in a room running at the light a hundred different ways. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I, I tend to put that less on McAvoy. I mean, clearly he's just going to do what the, the script or the screenplay says. So that's not really his fault from that perspective. But I also think it's more about there just wasn't equal screen time around. So I think had you just had less scenes of McAvoy, those transitions would have been less grating. But because he's in so much and he's always transitioning, it just becomes you know repetitive. And it, it sort of got to like nails on a chalkboard for me where I was like, damn it, just, just stay the, the beast or the, the lady with Patricia, whatever it is. Just stay one person for just a little bit. Well, and that's, that's another thing is I had forgotten about the light, you know, of the, that was his who's in control. You know, that, that was their trigger word of you have the light or Kevin's not allowed to have the light, yeah. you know, things like that. And I, I'd forgotten that. Uh, and so I don't know, as far as the beginning, I, it left me a little confused. And that's on my end because I should have remembered that from Split. But uh, that kind of got their talk about that confused me a little bit. Yeah. Because he had, it, the, he had the light flashing at him, but then also they're trying to fight for the light. And so I guess I think that that's where my confusion was, was I'm trying to run at the light, but Kevin can't go to the light. There's a lot of light talk. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally, totally get that. And then there was a moment in the movie too, where I felt like what was, and I'm curious to know if you got this or not, because I don't know if I just made this up in my head, but I think after he kind of pairs up with glass, so we're jumping ahead a little bit. Um, I felt like almost the inside of Kevin's head, a couple of the personalities started almost like killing a few of the other personalities because they needed to take control. So it was like Patricia and they can't kill Kevin and, uh, and the beast, but they were like almost shoving the other, uh, personalities away from the light, almost like killing him. But I, I don't, I don't know if I quite picked up on that. Right. Well, I don't think that's what was happening, but you just introduced a different movie that I don't want to give away what the movie is, but makes me want to watch that again. <laughs> well, I, don't want to spoil, I, don't, I don't want to spoil that movie, which makes this comment ridiculous, but that's what happens in another movie, which is pretty okay. cool. Where they killed off the other personalities of this guy. Gotcha. I, I think I know what movie you're talking about, but I'm not sure. I don't want to ruin it for people. They didn't come here to, to listen okay. to that one. Maybe a retro someday. We'll we'll do that one. So, you know, I know we're all over the place here, but going back to that first fight, um, did you, what did you think of the camera work in general? I thought, I thought it was terrible. I couldn't see what was going on. It it was very dark and the different angles. I couldn't, I couldn't see the fight. Okay. So I, I actually had the same complaint and we, we've both seen movies before. Um, a couple, I know one that comes to mind was The Predator, and I think I maybe had a little bit of this problem in Black Panther as well. But I know I've walked out of some movies and I've talked to you afterwards and been like, did you have trouble seeing this scene? Like, almost like, I know it's supposed to be a dark scene, but it was almost like the projector was too dim. And I had that exact same feeling during that first fight in Glass. And I, I, I'm surprised I wasn't the one that said this. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I m- remember saying, I needed to ask Carson if he had trouble seeing that because like it was one of those where I felt like my eyes weren't focusing right. I was like, I can't, can't quite tell. I mean, I could tell what was going on, but it, I just, it didn't seem like my eyes could focus right. Yeah. And the, really the only thing that you could see is him bear hugging him, you know, yeah. that's when they brought it back to focus, but everything else that they were doing, I felt like would have been cool to see, but I just didn't like the, the technique that was used. I agree. Um, did you notice the upgrade? camera trick that they did a few times no where they they like did that what i don't know what they call that you know how an upgrade whenever the stem would take over and they they fixed the camera so when they would when he would move around the camera stayed fixed on him they did that in the the opening bruce willis fight a couple times where the the camera moved with him i did not notice that so between that and the fact that i felt like every kind of fight scene was zoomed in way too close i I didn't like any of the camera work in any of the action scenes because I felt like it didn't give you any sense of perspective. And if there's one thing, I, and I know that 
the the core principle of glass and unbreakable is that these are superheroes that we use the word superhero they're they're humans with special abilities and they're they're not comic book heroes in the sense that they can fly and do all that stuff because those are exaggerated versions of what these guys are but i still feel like you need to like your your big thing is when you see a superman movie you want to feel the punches like if David Dunn is really, really strong and the beast is really, really strong, I need to feel more of that than throwing a table and catching it. Yeah, and I thought they did that in the end surveillance videos. But that's about it. So the surveillance videos of them fighting and throwing each other against the van, you know, when he was throwing the beast against the van, the whole van yeah. moved. You know, I thought you got a sense of that then, but not during the actual fight. Right. Agreed. I, uh, I do think it was or or what? I don't know. I, I think it was it was better then, but I still have my issues with that. And we'll, we can we'll, we will put that one on the back burner for a little bit um, and, and come back to it. because I think that's better fit kind of when we start talking about the end of the movie. But I, I at least wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about that opening fight. Yeah. Too, too dark. Not not well filmed, in my personal opinion. Agreed. Which I don't expect somebody like M. Night Shyamalan to be able to film action scenes well. I don't think that's ever been even remotely his thing. So maybe he should have brought in a consultant or something. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Choreographer tell you how to film this. I mean, you know, I'm sure they do that all the time. Um, okay. So after that first fight, we, they, you know, after they jump out or knock each other out that window, that's when we get introduced to Ellie Staple, who's played by Sarah Paulson. She's the doctor. They, she basically takes Kevin and David Dunn into a psych ward where they've already got Mr. Glass. And that is the kickoff to, I guess, mainly the bulk of what we've seen in the trailers, which is in the posters and everything, you know, the three of them being analyzed for their special abilities, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I actually liked the setup. I, I, the coolest thing, one of the coolest things to me was, and, and I wish they would have taken it a step further, but you mentioned the lights in the room of Kevin. I liked that. Um, I liked that they built Bruce Willis's room to be rigged with all these fire hoses because he's, you know, water is his kryptonite. That was really cool. But then I was disappointed that they just had glass just like drugged up. Right. Well, they t- I guess they took away his mind. Yeah, I know. But like, I just wish it had his, been. His room wasn't designed for him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like I kind of wanted it to be, you know, something unique to each of them. And I, I, you're right i get that they took away his mind through drugs but i wish there had been something else like you know when um they they put magneto in like an all plastic uh plastic yeah, yeah prison yeah like i mean i feel like that that uh the beast and david dunn got equivalents like that i would just wish they had given glass something a little bit more cool right like i i, I don't even know what it would have been right like a giant puzzle or something which would sound stupid on the surface but i guess i just wish it had been more than he's just <laughs> sitting there drooling on himself he's in the cube yeah something like that i don't know <laughs> but i i did like i like the premise i like that setup um of that and then that's when we really dive into you know she's basically trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. They don't really have these powers that she doesn't really dive into Elijah a whole lot, but I guess that's probably because he's, you know, basically seems like he's lobotomized. But, you know, she tells Kevin that, you know, all of his stuff stems from the loss of his dad and, you know, all, dealing with that trauma that happened. And it, it kept like, I don't, was that his mom or somebody that was like running around with an iron, like almost like she was going to brand him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they she beat him after the dad left. Okay. And then you know, with David Dunn, she tells him that, you know, maybe all that stuff that he the visions that he has when he touches people is just he's a really good intuitor like the, you know, con artists and magicians are and how they can guess everything about you because you're giving away all these subtextual clues. Um, but basically she's claiming she's got 3 days from some self-imposed deadline uh by somebody to essentially proved to them that they are they are not superheroes. Right. And I, I liked a lot of the approach. I wish it was all that was shorter. Oh, much know, shorter. More compact. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, I liked the idea of David Dunn, you know, just being unaware of how perceptive he is. You know, it's not like an intentional thing. It's just his brain's automatically doing that and he doesn't know why. 
Uh, I, I liked that idea opposed to, I mean, obviously he's seen the, the future in a few things. Oh no, no, it's always been the past. Hasn't it? Yeah. It's always the past. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to think back to unbreakable when the guy's killing somebody, but he's still in the house for some reason. <laughs> he goes back to the house after work. He, he got, yeah. Um, but that's, uh, you know, I like that, that they did that perception thing. Yeah. And it, it didn't make a lot of sense with the beast other than they said, Oh, anybody can build, you know, break bars or climb walls. Yeah. He's like climb ceilings. So, yeah. Well, and they, okay. So a couple, this is, I get that aspect, right? I, I totally get that you can explain away David's intuition. You can explain away Kevin's split personalities. But it's been a while since I've seen Split. Didn't somebody try and stab the beast with a knife and it just flat out didn't work? I thought the. I don't remember that. I remember he got shot twice, but she explained that away. I felt like. Um, I don't know. I guess I felt like the old lady that he squeezes, who was like his therapist, I felt like she like tried to stab him with a knife and it didn't work. And I could totally be making that up and I'm going to find myself on our year end error list. But <laughs> that's, <laughs> I feel like that happened. So, okay. So whether that did or didn't happen. And yeah, she does explain like the, the bars in the zoo were like from the 1800s and she could bend them with a steel rod and you know, put some pressure whatever. Okay. But David Dunn has like proven his strength over and over again, like with what he can do and saving people. And, you know, he's torn a car door off when he was younger. Uh, you know, he lifted all those weights. There's just, well, well she, she tried to explain that with, there's, there's some very strong men that can do that too. And so just trying to explain him as he's just very strong. True. Not that he's super, he's very strong. Yeah. But like, I guess I just feel like if what I'm supposed to believe is that over the last 19 years, David Dunn has been out crime fighting and he hasn't been hurt and his strength has only gotten bigger and all this stuff like that doesn't make sense. Like I can understand her kind of psychologically subverting you by talking about your visions, but like, you know that you've probably been beat up really bad and didn't really get hurt or your strength has actually been what your strength is. So it doesn't make sense to me that the characters would just magically from her perspective or from their perspective, believe her and then suddenly think that they aren't capable of doing what they are. You know, I I didn't buy that. No, I I agree. Um, I, I didn't like, I I like the idea of it, but again, if you're going back and looking at the other two movies, it doesn't track that well. And I wondered if it was going to be something, Along the line, so uh, I'm gonna go go comic book nerd on you real quick. So there's there's a character called Captain Britain in uh, in Marvel that's part of Excalibur, and his strength is based on his confidence. So as long as he thinks he's strong, he's strong. But if you, if you try to think about it, you know that's a very hard thing to get stronger. Sure, you know because your mind is is constantly working against you. And so I wondered if they're kind of going that route of David Dunn's only as strong as he thinks he is, because he's never really put that much weight on the bar type of thing. And he, and then Samuel Jackson drops the, well, he's only using 1% of his power and you know, stuff like that. And I thought that's kind of where they're going. And she was chipping away at the confidence in him by making him doubt himself. So I thought they were kind of going that route. I gotcha. Yeah. I, that wouldn't have been bad. I think it still would have been, I mean, I guess at least it would have tied into their powers a little bit. Whereas, you know, with this, she's really just trying to get them to not believe it, And that doesn't have any impact, but you know, I I think that would have been tough. That would have worked for David. I don't think it would have worked for Kevin. Right. I mean, the guy, he's a schizophrenic. So right. you have to convince every, every personality that, <laughs> that, the beast, that, yeah. the, that the beast isn't strong, you know? <laughs> yeah. That'd take a while, but, and so, but getting back to, I mean, we're skipping ahead to her twist. If she does convince them that to say that they're not superheroes, anybody else in that organization that she's involved in, do you think they're going to buy that as, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What was the end game in that? She convinces them that they're not superheroes and they let, she lets them go freely. I I guess wouldn't it always be. They don't kill them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think she does say something to the effect of they, they've they've tried to resolve things peacefully, but if they can't, then they, I, I don't know. Uh, I basically sat there and was calling her like the female Ra's al Ghul, uh, the whole rest of the movie once that reveal happened because it, it felt very League of Shadows to me. Now, I know that those, those guys topple civilizations and reset stuff, but that's what it felt like to me with the big reveal at the end. Well, we'll stay on that because that was very disappointing for me her reveal because if you've ever read any sort of X-Men comic, that's always what it is. It's always humans and some sort of organization, whether it be purifiers or, you know, sentinels or whatnot, they're trying to eliminate mutants. And that's essentially what these three were, right? They're born with these, these powers and there's, they're just trying to exterminate them over the years. And it's just a, they, Every human enemy and everything that they invent in these comics is the same idea of exactly what they were. This organization that's trying to eliminate mutants from either being born or, you know, procreating or any of this stuff. And so it seemed like very blah to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, I, I don't even give it the credit of calling it a twist. I mean, he, he tried, but it was one super lame. But two, it was completely not guessable. Um, and I'm going to regurgitate my review that I wrote because I feel like it, it summed up my feelings pretty well. But when you go back and watch Unbreakable or Sixth Sense, I, I, let's, let's leave Unbreakable out of the equation. Let, let's use Sixth Sense and even something like Signs or The Village. He's so good, he being M. Night Shyamalan, at, at tormenting you like you even when you know something's coming and you're looking for the clues to know what it is when he finally hits you with it it feels like it was something that was just out of your reach the whole time and that when you go back and rewatch it you're like i should have caught that it was right there he was teasing me the whole time and that's part of what makes his movie so good is that he's just dangling the answer right out of your reach the whole movie and then that's what makes them highly rewatchable is because you, you can pick up new stuff when you go back. My problem with Glass is that it's not dangling out in front of you the whole time. It just hits you out of left field at the very end with, oh yeah, and there's this that's been happening. And if you go back and rewatch Unbreakable and Split, it's not going to be like you, you could have or should have seen this coming. You're going to watch all three movies and get to the end and be like, well, yeah, that's the ending he gave us. But it's not like it was a it's not a reveal. It's just a new element added at the very end of the movie that's boring and cliched and not even a twist. It just I, I was. It just I don't is. Know. Yeah, it just yeah. is. It's like all of a sudden if she reveals and I'm Kevin's sister. I'm like, really? What? Yeah, yeah it, it's just as bad. Yeah. And like the, the awesome things about the Shyamalan reveals too, is that he usually flashes back to other elements in the movie. Like he, he may not have shown you those, but he kind of shows you it, it's like he gave you a puzzle and he left out 10 pieces, but then at the end he shows you the 10 pieces and that makes the picture and you're like, damn it. But this was like, <laughs> he just poured a new puzzle on the, on the table. It's like, here, there you go. This is the last puzzle. And like the scenes flashing back to her at like the restaurant, like what, what was that? I mean, I know what it was, but like it's just so lazy. Yeah, like she asked him to to touch her. Yeah, which is exactly yeah, to, what Elijah did in Unbreakable to to reveal that, but it didn't really say anything other than you know, they're yeah. all in an organization. Yeah, yeah it, it's just yeah, the ending was super super bad um in general yeah. and then and then really bad from a Shyamalan standpoint. So we'll table that before we get to the endings. Is there anything before we get to all that that you want to add? Yeah, so I mean, I would hop back to when when they're in the psych ward. I, I guess my thought with where I wanted the psych ward to go, and we talk about this a lot, where it's almost not fair to rate a movie based on where you want it to go versus where it did go. Um, but I, I guess what I was hoping for was some kind of like, she was going to study them and push them to their limits kind of thing. So uh, the lights were in there to protect them, but they were going to push the beast really far and see how far he could go. Or they were going to push Dunn to his strength so that like you would get these amped up versions of themselves. Like I guess what I wanted out of the, the 
finale to the Glass trilogy is everybody at like their max potential. And maybe they were, but I guess I, I wanted more. I wanted Dunn to be stronger than what I remember him from Unbreakable. I wanted the Beast to be stronger than he was in Split, so we got an epic showdown. I wanted Glass to be smarter than he was in Unbreakable, and I guess I didn't get that. And that's probably my fault for expectations. Having said that, and I want to get your take on this too, but I feel like the movie bolstered those expectations in me. And I can't place my finger on it, but I feel like there were scenes where people were talking about and alluding to the fact that we haven't seen them as strong as they could be, or you haven't reached your full potential. So when they say things like that, I'm like, okay, at some point we are getting, you know, David Dunn 2.0 and the Beast 2.0, and those guys are going to fight and that's going to be epic. And then when it didn't happen, I was sort of like completely let down. And it goes all the way back to, I guess, what I thought the psych experiments were. Well, and that's, and that's what Samuel Jackson said that. So Mr. Glass said, we're only at 1% of their potential. And so if you weren't thinking that at, well, previously, you definitely were after he said that. Yeah. And so, and so you're like, okay, well, what's, uh, yeah, what, what's David Dunn's? I can, a guy getting stronger. I can get on board that. What's the beast going to look like? You know, like, does he manifest more physically? Because that was part of his thing. Um, and then what does glass look like when he's, you know, hundred percent. And when they had him, you know, under that Ray, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the brain Ray, and then he showed the, what would you call that? The lenses. Yeah. I thought he like reversed the lenses and instead of shrinking, whatever his power was, he amplified it himself. <laughs> that's a great thought i did not think that and, and so but apparently he just took it out and it did nothing but uh, that, that's what i was saying like he was holding it up as if he reversed it you know and it made himself that much smarter and so that that's where i was going with it of okay he found a way he knew what they were going to do and he found a way to make himself even better which i don't i don't know if that would have gotten all the way to like telekinesis i don't know if i i wanted it to go that far but however you make him and show that he's that much smarter now yeah, I agree. And I think that's where I wanted it to go. Something to that effect with all three of them. So they would get this epic clash. And yeah, I, I didn't get that. Well, his mom thought that's what they were going to get too. And that didn't happen. <laughs> right, right. So speak, <laughs> speaking of his mom really quickly, um, I know we went to the end and we're coming back. So I didn't have a problem with his mom being there or Dunn's son being a part of the movie. I, I guess I need to rewatch Split. Because I guess I wasn't under the impression that Casey Cook, the, the girl who's from Split, the one that survived, that he let go. Like, I guess I felt it seemed sort of irrational that she would have feelings for Kevin and come visit him in the psych ward and, like, almost love him. That that seemed really out of place to me, too. But then I, I put that on myself of I must not be remembering Split like I remember Split. And I wanted okay. to rewatch re it before this. And so I put that on me. So if that's not what you got either, then I'm, I feel better. But no, yeah. I didn't get, I didn't get that either. That I was like, why is she so invested in, in Kevin? Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, or I guess I shouldn't say that makes sense. That makes me feel better too, because I, I thought that that felt totally out of place. And I felt like it was only done to give each of them like some symmetry where they each have a main person. And then, also felt like it was only done for the the parallelism that that became the end of the movie where you know we'll get to it later but it didn't feel necessary to me to have her there and it felt totally out of place that somebody who got kidnapped by this person and saw her friends killed uh would would be in love with this one personality of this split personality guy right and maybe he's the one that helped her escape but definitely didn't know him well enough to to change her life for it <laughs> yeah yeah you know it just it just didn't feel right yeah okay so yeah i uh, that's all i really had about the middle of the movie I, I i will say that the middle of the movie is too long um it's way too filled with exposition uh, that's one thing we didn't touch on is um every character feels the need to tell you exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it and hammer you over the head for 45 minutes about this is a comic book world and all this it, it I've it's one of the most exposition heavy movies I've ever experienced, especially Sarah Paulson. She, she her character throughout the whole middle of the movie when she's in the psych ward is explaining everything you ever need to know about this movie. And it's it's super frustrating because, again, it's the complete opposite of M. Night Shyamalan. He used to not explain anything 
So I don't know why he felt the need to explain everything in this movie. Because of the happening. I, I guess. I, I don't I truthfully don't <laughs> you could take a bunch of movies that he's done lately. It's like, well, whatever I was thinking is wrong. Because I haven't made a good movie in a long time. So maybe if I just explain <laughs> it all out for people, they'll like it. Maybe, but I mean, go back and look at your ones that were successful and realize what you did in those that made them successful. But it's way heavy for an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's way heavy for a normal movie. I mean, if you have to tell your audience over and over again what's happening and why it's happening, and not just in the context of the movie, but it almost felt like it was preaching at us from an audience standpoint, like, oh, hey, remember, this is a comic book movie, but it's not a comic book movie. And I'm like, all right, end it already. So yeah. We can skip forward all that exposition in our conversation here and, and get back to the ending. Yeah, because the ending is really where all of it matters because the rest of it was just drawn out and yes. nuts. So, yep. Okay, so we already talked about twist number one was um, her being a secret organization, which is just dumb. Yes. We, we concur on, on the dumb twist. We do. The other one was... Uh, that Kevin's dad is on the same train as Bruce Willis. Yes. When when Glass Glass killed his dad and essentially created Kevin unintentionally. Right. I like that. Oh I yeah. Didn't, that, I didn't see yeah. it coming until right when they said, uh, I, "Shoot!" When they showed the train, the kid at the train station. Like it took me that long to figure that one out. And yeah, like, and oh, I, that's Bruce's train. <laughs> yeah, and I again, I guess I kind of chalked that one up to maybe not being familiar with Split. I, I do kind of wonder if there's a hint that, I, truthfully, I didn't remember that Kevin's dad died um, until Sarah Paulson's character said it. So uh, I've uh, yeah, seen I, I don't know if that's mentioned it in Split at all. Okay, yeah, same here. So again, that that was well done. Um, I like that. That felt natural. And I will say too. Um, the way they did that was really, really good. So I had just watched Unbreakable, and they, they clearly had to film a new scene with Kevin's dad sitting down on the train, but then they move the camera back and then over, and it meshes perfectly into one of the opening scenes of Bruce Willis on the train in Unbreakable. That was fantastic. Right, looking through the seats. And so you don't have mm-hmm. to de-age Bruce when uh, you just use the clip from your other movie. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm with you all on board on that one. I, I like that one. I, I agree. And again, ties everybody together. Yes. So there's there's one more twist we haven't talked about. There's uh, the Kevin's dad twist, which we got. There's the Ellie Staple twist where she's in the organization. And then the third twist is that Glass knew all along that she was part of this organization. And that he was revealing these superhuman people to the world, which... Yes. So, I guess, <laughs> you, you know... Uh, like, I, like, is that you're going to kill the, he is expected to die in this plan and to reveal this. And so superheroes are out there. Well, what, I don't get what he thinks the end result is. I, I mean, superficially. So I, I'll take, I guess, the M. Night Shyamalan angle on this. I, I guess the thought is that if there are others out there, they're now awakened um, and, and will come forward and not hide so i I guess it goes back to your x-men type theory that now once the world knows that they're out there they'll all come out and band together that's one angle but you know you know who you are sure but maybe it's just trying i just i don't get it Uh, yeah i i took it as kind of an awakening moment a calling moment because you know he says this isn't a limited edition this is an origin story so my interpretation is that Others will come out of the woodwork now to be okay with their powers out in public. By I don't showing, like it. By showing all three people with powers being killed? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, now I'm definitely not coming out. And, and so I would assume, though, that he's also releasing footage of all the cameras, which would include the fact that she's in an organization and all this stuff. There's this evil organization in the world. I would assume there's something there in that as well. Okay, um, so... Well, I'm gonna on that <laughs> on that topic. So this organization's been around for thousands of years. Is that what she said? Uh, yeah, like ten thousand years, I think, is what she said. Yeah, hunting mutants, um, and they can't track down the server. That he sent it to, <laughs> right. to his mom. Yeah. 
but like they wouldn't be on that in a heartbeat. And so the only, and, and I did bring this up to my wife and I said, I'll accept it is the timing of when she figures it out is different than when they reveal it. So they reveal it as soon as Sarah Paulson figures that out. And right. I said, I'll say, I'll buy that as an excuse, but I still don't think that's what was intended. I think it was after. Yeah, I, it, it's lame no matter what, because if you're this big, powerful League of Shadows organization, um, one, yeah, you should be able to track that down. Two, I'm sure you have a massive PR apparatus at your disposal that right. could go out there and discredit all that video, which leads me into one of fan my complaints. Made, of fan-made movie. Yeah, exactly. That's what, <laughs> And you, you led me right into that, because what did we really see on that video? We saw James McAvoy running on all fours. We saw a van kind of shaking when they're fighting. And we saw Bruce Willis bend steel in like, I guess what I'm saying is like, if the whole point was for superheroes to be revealed, I would think it would take a little bit more than that. Because if I saw a video like that on YouTube today, I'd be like, yeah, you know, sweet special effects. I, I, you can do that. I get it. Like, or even if I thought it was real, I'd be like, okay, I mean, I feel like I've seen some people kind of been steel like that before, or maybe if two guys, I've, I've never seen two guys fight really hard, but I would imagine a van kind of rocks back and forth if they're fighting up against it. So I don't have a problem with Glass's plan, but it needed to be something epic. It didn't need to necessarily be as over, to- over the top as fighting at the top of that one building. I get that. But like it, and it goes back to my point from earlier, it needed to be these guys in a different form the different level of powers than what we've seen them have because to me this is like not anything worthy of an awakening over yeah i it didn't make sense to me of the you're so smart in your plan what was this like yeah and so and it didn't even it didn't even have a call to action it was just that we exist and again i'm like okay i just don't i don't get it yeah, and to your point, if Glass really does think that they're only using 1% of their capabilities, wouldn't it best serve him and his goals to get them at least up to 25 or 30% before right. <laughs> releasing the footage? Like, and and bench-pressing the truck, you know? Yeah, there, and I, I will say, I half expected Bruce Willis to fly at some point in this movie, because I guess that's just kind of where I thought it was going, that it's going to be, it's going to go from superhero subversion movie to like, they really are superheroes. And that may have been too much. I kind of expected it. But I don't think there would have been anything wrong with going halfway. Like, still keep it rooted. I mean, if we're going to compare it back to um, e- even like the most realistic superhero movies of our time, the Dark Knight trilogy, I mean, Bruce Wayne in that movie technically does things that are really actually feasible, but they're far more impressive than what Bruce Willis does on this tape. I mean, bending a little bit of metal and if it was even getting, metal. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you felt the same way because I really just felt like this exposing them to the world was nothing special. Yeah, so I didn't like that. So I'm I'm gonna get into how, how it should have ended. <laughs> oh know, nice. And, and what I what I was expecting by this end scene. So I'm already there with David Dunn, for some reason, is like an infant. I don't know why he just being in water makes him. I thought it was just him susceptible to choking on water. I didn't know he lost all physical strength whatsoever. Okay, that was. I, I gotta stop. I, I gotta stop you right there because I wondered too if you picked up on that because after they hose him down with water, um, in the room, you know, you don't get to see it, but you know, she comes in the doctor and he's all wet and she's like, "Look at you! You think you can barely stand?" Kind of thing. So I don't, I guess, yes, from Unbreakable, I thought it wasn't that he's, it's not that he's wet and waters his kryptonite, it's that he swallows water too quickly and he chokes on it. Right. And I thought, but in the room, in his cell, I thought they filled up his entire cell and he was drowning and then they emptied it. Yeah, I did too. But then I kind of got the impression based on what she said that it's like the, it's almost like he has a phobia of water. And that it just terrifies him. And then he kind of, back to your point about confidence, he like loses his strength or whatever. And then you could tie it into the fact that, okay, well, maybe that's where he, why he wears a poncho because he keeps the water off of him kind of thing. But ah, I felt like they, clever. I felt like they alluded to maybe water makes him weak. And I don't like that because in Unbreakable, it wasn't being wet that made him weak. It was just, he just chokes on water. Right. 
Right. Uh, okay. And, continue. And so, so you have him on the ground, basically in a push-up position, right? Yeah. Be- being pushed into a puddle, but he's in a push-up position. So I'm like, okay, he's. She showed him who she is. She. He's about to snap out of it and show us this. This other, at least you know, twenty percent of him. You know, this guy trying to forge his head down, and he you know, does a full push up and then beats up the guy, whatever. So that's what I thought mm-hmm. he, his side was going to be. Kevin is already shot and in, in the girl's arms, you know, dying. And they even made mention of, uh, we needed him to go back to Kevin so we could shoot him. Did you catch that? Yes. Okay. And so I wanted him lying there and she's talking to Kevin and I wanted her to say, you know, be the beast, you know, and then have him heal yeah. himself type of thing. Like Kevin, mm-hmm the light you be the beast and then we get his 99 percent or whatever <laughs> right you know, see I, you're the same as me like that's how i kind of expected bruce willis going to like as he's being held down he like just he like pushes up so hard off the ground that he just kind of like hovers in the air like superman well even jumps super high you know a push up all yes. the way up to over the van or something like that just something ridiculous and, right and I, I i could never figure out how glass was gonna matter and in actuality, he didn't, but yep. that's where I, the whole time I'm like, okay, this is it's called glass. He's doing something, right? And he's not just escaping. He's trying to get them somewhere to do something and nothing, nothing, right? And nothing that I felt was worthy of even the movie being named after him. Right. It, you know, cause if his whole plan was to just get them on TV, like, yeah, he could have still recorded all the cameras and stuff, but if he had actually executed his real plan, they are that he said, which was getting them to that tower with the grand opening. There was going to be thousands of cameras there, anyways. Yeah. So it's not like it wouldn't have. And witnesses. (laughs) You're not going to have people dispute the legitimacy of this online streaming video that a a kid and a grandma sends out. Right. So his fake plan was a million times better than his, the plan that he ended up, well, I guess his his real plan. Right. So, and that's, I really wanted her to tell him to be the beast and have him heal himself. You know, yeah, the, that would have been good. That's kind of what I was waiting for in that, oh, I have the light now. And, and then she asked, you know, do you like the light or something like that? I was like, perfect timing. You say, well, let go of it. Let the beast <laughs> have it. You know, something like that. Yeah. So kind of show a change in her of, you know, you can be the beast to save his life. Because that they kind of turned him into a protector of Kevin, right? Like he was yes. killing people because Kevin was weak. And they didn't. I don't think they really dove too much into that. But they kind of alluded to that at the end. Yeah, and that's when I, I felt that kind of tied into with how um, Glass says that he's the protector of the broken. So not only was he the protector of like Glass and the protector of himself, really, because he's broken. But I thought that was a good parallel because you know Dunn is unbreakable. So I thought that was cool. But, but I did, not, I didn't get why the Beast would be killing like cheerleaders. You know, that didn't make sense as him as a protector of Kevin. But if he was just murdering people that he thought was a threat. And so that that, that didn't jive with me. But I did like how they sure. how he went after glass or whatever. But I was waiting for that kind of <laughs> uh, again, I was waiting for that Shyamalan twist and it was very disappointing. Yep, it absolutely was. So that's my how it should have ended. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I were on the same path on that one. That's, I mean, some obviously subtle differences, but generally speaking, that's kind of what I thought too. Yeah. So, we run out of things to say? We are. Let's get, uh, let's get to our questions. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say. Are you ready? What'd you rate it and why? Uh, I ended up giving it a three. Um, it was hard. It's hard to compare a superhero movie that's not like all these other superhero movies that we're getting. And so you expect these epic fights in Avengers, in Justice League, etc. And that's not what this movie is. So taking myself out of that, when you call it a superhero movie, you know that this type of movie is going to be different. And you want those big epic fights, but... I liked it. I like the characters. I like the most of the acting, but obviously with the, the shortcomings, I couldn't give it more than a three. 
yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I made a two and a half, but I was closer to a two. When I walked out of the theater, I was actually at a two. And then the more I thought about it, the more I came up a little bit. Um, it's got some right ideas, some right elements in there. There's obviously things I would have done different. Uh, the exposition is just way too much. Way, way, way too much. Too many characters telling you exactly what it is and why. Um, there's no tension, which for a Shyamalan movie, uh, half the reason the reveals are so good is because it's just raw tension for the entire movie almost, and then the, the reveal comes. Um, the reveal wasn't good. Um, you know, I, while I wanted them to get to be like, you know, David Dunn 2.0 and The Beast 2.0, it didn't need to go over the top with it. I just wanted to see a little something more than what we got. Like I said, the, the, the rocking of the van and the bending of the of the metal. I just think there could have been something a little bit more to that. And then I, I, I didn't like the angle that they did with Sarah Paulson's character in the secret organization. So there's, there's just too much kind of wrong and then not overly well made that just kind of combines for a mess of a movie and, and a disappointment with where I thought this would have gone after unbreakable so two and a half for me closer to a two than a two and a half so let's let's go a little bit positive though what's your favorite moment (laughs) well for somebody who sat here and talked the whole time about wanting to see more of their power i liked bruce willis breaking down the door because that's the one time where i felt like they might be that might be the start of his climb to his new powers um i was wrong but that's what i felt at the moment A a lot of my favorite moments were more about the potential of the moment or the potential that's coming and as opposed to like what the actual moment was. But what about you? Uh, I liked all the, the beginning with Bruce Willis, uh, him and his son, um, him walk, just walking through crowds, you know, going for a walk, you know, those back and forth exchanges between the two of them. I just like that dynamic of them hunting together. Yeah. It's a, it's a Batman Robin. Like you said, it's the blade whistler, the, the Punisher micro is it was an interesting take it's to not have. Really, Robin. That's more <laughs> Alfred. Anything. That's true. That's fair. Uh, um, <laughs> so let's go back to negative. What's one thing you would change? <laughs> so when Glass said, he's, "As he's dying, this is an origin story." Okay, let's say everything else plays out like he did. You know, they both, everybody dies. When you said the origin story, I'm like, okay, these people are born with this. So essentially, in my mind, they're mutants. I thought he was creating a hero out of Dunn's son. Yeah, I definitely, I, I didn't think that, but when he said origin story, I, I did not think it was going to be what it ended up being. I was like, oh, wait, what, what's happening? Who is this? Yeah, that, I thought that maybe the, the three other characters, the son, the girlfriend, and the mom were suddenly going to have powers or something. Well, uh, the girl didn't make sense, and the mom, I think we'd have known by now you know, as the mom, but the son made sense of you. You're tragic. You see your parents, you know, the comic book, your parents die in front of you and that ignites your power or whatever. And so, and again, being like you're born with it as genetics, it flows down, downward to your kid. And he's right about that age where he would have discovered his powers. You know, I just thought that was going to be his, he set it all up for the kid's origin story. And somehow he knew that he could do that. I don't know because he's smart. That's glass. I don't get it. But that's that's what I would have changed if I'm keeping them all dead. Yeah, and you know, there's that scene where he finds the comic book in the in the comic book store and that's what helps him figure out to go start researching Kevin's parents and that's how he finds out that Glass killed uh Kevin's dad. But that would have been a kind of a double kind of twist sort of thing where the comic book was about the parents and then yeah, his parents is what gives him his power. So yeah, I could have seen that. That that would have been a, a pretty cool. I, I don't know that that would have been a twist, but it could have been a good note to end on that David's son is one of the people that um that is now out, I guess, exposed in the world as a superhero. Well, I would have gotten rid of the exposing the superheroes, but <laughs> sure, you know, it was his origin story. Gotcha. So that's what I've done there. What about you? Uh, I just said get rid of all the exposition. I mean, it. Uh, I just <laughs> that's that's the movie. Yeah, that's the half of the movie. And I, I mean, but that's the thing is if you still have the, if you keep his plot and keep his characters, but make it in a way where they're not just telling you everything, you still have to kind of cobble it together. Maybe I would have enjoyed the ride a little bit more, but when I didn't really enjoy the middle of the ride, it, it, it you know, you just kind of get into a, a funk in the movie. And then if the ending doesn't pan out and just magically save you, I mean, no matter what, if the ending had crushed it, 
it still would have been a pretty flawed movie throughout the whole thing. Um, you know, even without, even if you'd gotten rid of the exposition, like everything that just happened up until the end was just fine. Um, but yeah, the ending could have saved it a little bit, but it didn't. So I would just make it to where at least I would have had the game going all along where I'm, I'm chasing the answer. Okay. And so what casting change would you have made? Uh, I wonder if we'll have the same one here, but uh, Glass's mom, the, they put her in some <laughs> god-awful makeup. Truly, truly awful makeup. It was totally distracting. I get that it's, I looked it up afterwards, it's the same lady who played his mom from Unbreakable, and I think she's in her 60s, but whatever they did to her makeup-wise was just overly distracting. It was Halloween mask bad. I Terrible. So I don't think that you have to recast her as an actress but i definitely think well, that's the not makeup. the that's not the question well i guess what i'm you saying is fix the makeup altogether. right so what i'm saying is if if you if you don't think she's right to play the right age then recast her but i'm saying if i was trying to be nice and say like i don't i'm not saying recast her because she's a bad actress i'm saying they did her wrong by all the makeup so I would recast an older person so that you don't have to do the terrible makeup. I, I don't think that that's uh, answering the question, but I sure guess I'll is. let it slide. Ca- cast somebody older for Glass's mom instead of somebody younger and putting them in bad makeup. Well, you're also supposed to pick who older you're I don't care. Here. Pick somebody old. I can go get... I, <laughs> get some old lady. I can get you somebody old right now. You want a toe? I can get you a toe. I get you a toe. <laughs> what about you? What would you change? Uh, so the casting change of mine would be Sarah Paulson. Uh, I've never been a fan of her uh, American Horror Story. Um, uh, we watched a lot of those those series, and I just never, I never liked her as a character. Never liked her as an actress so much, and maybe that's harsh. But uh, even in this sinister role of dual therapist but then also could pull off the secret organization i don't think she did that well hmm. um and so she almost seemed like she didn't fit in that organization hmm. so i uh i threw emily blunt in there because i think she could be not only a uh a therapist almost a sympathetic figure but then also can be complete badass if she needed to be yeah i mean i i, I won't argue emily blunt at all, but I didn't have a problem with Sarah Paulson. I actually thought she played the role well. Um, I believed her as a, a kind of an endearing psychologist. And I she's got a little bit of a coldness to her in that role that I, I felt she could have been um, some kind of head of the organization. So I, I didn't mind her. I just I don't think they did her character right. But I didn't fault her for that. So I, I I'm not gonna argue with it. But I I thought she was good. I did not. Get Emily Blunt in there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a default. That, Emily Blunt to you is like my uh, my Gosling. Just put him in everything. Uh, not not quite, <laughs> but but she will be an answer to a lot of these. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming exactly. All right, what award would you give this movie? Uh, I said worst comeback by a director. Ooh, yeah. Most most directors don't get a comeback um and i agree with you he got one and he squandered it so that is uh, i actually tried to do a little bit of research when i was writing my review to see which directors that were really good had slumps that and then got an opportunity to come back from it. i didn't get far enough in my research to get an answer for that so i like that award a lot and that one is one i tried to think of and i couldn't so if, there may be a better one out there but i couldn't think of a director that like you just said that did that and so he gets my worst comeback by a director in a in a series. <laughs> nice. That that's that sounded really official. Thank you. Thank you. So about you. Uh lamest ending to a trilogy nobody asked for. Wow. Right. I don't know if that that's accurate. Uh I feel so like then, it, so then I'm then I, now I'm going through all these trilogy I mean you're looking at Tremors. Have you seen the end of Tremors 3? Well, but that's no longer a trilogy. It is no longer tr- so okay. You're gonna hold me to that. Mm-hmm. I did specify trilogy. <laughs> what about uh, Jurassic Park trilogy? Uh, I don't. I don't know that that counts, does it? Well, Jurassic World is a new set, so. Mm-hmm. But they acknowledge the originals. Well, I think there's plenty of trilogies that have worse endings than this. Possibly, but I mean, you go that research them, for. <laughs> go research them and let me know. <laughs> Um, okay, so last but not least, we have if you liked this movie, you would also like. I said wanted. 
Okay. So I went, I went, uh, if you like this, then you got a heavy dose of uh, McAvoy. Jimmy Mac. Yep. And it was kind of a secret society, you know, what's going on beneath the layers type movie. Uh, but had a little bit more action, but still had twists and stuff. So I think if you like this one, Wanted is a better version of that. Okay, I got you. What about you? I went with uh, Kick-Ass 2. So I kept it in the you know kind of real comic book hero realm, but also a sequel that's disappointing compared to the first and not really where you wanted it to go or what you wanted it to do kind of thing. Well, Wanted was a comic book as well. Uh, yeah, I, I meant like a, a comic book. You know what I mean? Superhero? Like, uh, like a real world superhero kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So kick ass too is what I got. <laughs> I don't think those two are anywhere alike. Um, I mean, it, <laughs> well, one's borderline slapstick comedy. Yes, but I mean, I gave my justification for it. I said that, like, if you, if you want the real world comic book stuff, that's kick ass. And then from the sequel standpoint, it's kick ass too is disappointing. So, a disappointing sequel to a comic book movie that's set in the real world. I just justified it. <laughs> Make, All right. Makes perfect All right. sense. All right. Well, I think that does it for Glass. Finally. Oh, my God. We talked like half the runtime of, of Glass here in this episode. Because we fixed it. <laughs> yeah, we did. We have a much better movie. M. Night Shyamalan should give us a call. He should. He should. And then put his own twist on it. I actually think he uh, is going to make a lot of money on this. I think it was only like a $20 million budget. And I think it already, I don't even know if it's that much, but I already know it's made its money back. So, um, I mean, right or wrong, I know there's a lot of people that like this movie. Um, I know we didn't care for it as much as we wanted to, but it's going to make money. And he, you know, he may be kind of back in the eyes of, you know, movie studios. I don't know. I don't think that's one that you say he's back. No, no, that's why I said kind of back. I think Split, you might have gotten that, but I think that was kind of a one-off. I think this was really his his comeback story and fail. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Poor M. Night Shyamalan. Sorry, bud. Better luck next time. <laughs> he's going to get it next time, you know. Like you said, if it made money, then he's going to get another shot at it. Yep. All right. Well, that does it for us. Uh, next week's episode is going to be a retro review. Um, if it's not out there already, be on the lookout for a poll. If it is out there, we're going to tackle some movies that are having their five-year anniversary, but we're going to let everybody pick. So check Twitter, check Facebook for a poll. Uh, winner is what we will review on our next episode, which will be a retro review. Uh, other than that, make sure you hit subscribe in Google or on Apple so you can get new episodes downloaded and go out to one of the stores and leave us a rating and leave us a review. Uh, the more we get those, the more we get recognized in the, the podcast stores and the more more downloads we get, which is what, what we're trying to do and will help keep the, keep the podcast going. And also make sure you're checking us out on Twitter and Facebook because along with our spoiler-filled podcast, you get spoiler-free reviews from us of movies that we see. So Anything that we don't podcast about, we try and write reviews on, and that way you can know whether you should check them out or not. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both!